0: Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Let's go ahead and let's get into our Who is Jesus sermon series, all right? And so, When we're processing through the idea of who is Jesus, um, my my father and I we were talking through this, and we really wanted to hone in on two aspects of Jesus that I think make him who he is, which is he was one hundred percent man and he was one hundred percent God. And so today I'm going to be talking about the humanity of Jesus, and then next week Pastor Kevin is going to come in and talk about the divinity of Jesus. Right. So we have the humanity and the divinity of Jesus is part one, part two. There'll be some more parts in it, but we're we're talking. About who is Jesus. And so today we're talking about the fact that Jesus, who is Jesus? He was a man. He is a man. All right. So I don't know if you guys have a celebrity or someone who you see on social media or movies or whatever, and you go, they live a life that I cannot comprehend. Has anyone ever felt that way before? Um, they live a life that is, um, maybe they have so much money, like Bill Gates or, or Jeff Bezos, where you're just like, what would it be like to just be able to be like, hey, let's go ahead and get on my private plane and let's go to Mali for the weekend. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what that's like, all right? I'm not doing that. I don't know, is anyone in this room doing that? Anyone wanna, no? Okay, hey, here's the thing. I don't know what that's like. I also don't, want to, don't know what it's like to be so proficient in, like, in athletic sports. So like Tiger Woods is ridiculous in my mind, right? He is so at the peak of the game that like I, I think the more... Um, the more skill you get at something, the the higher of a ceiling you realize that there is, right? So like the more time I spend on a golf course, the more time I realize I am not anywhere close to Tiger Woods, let alone his son, all right? Um, I'm nowhere near that level or like, um, when I try and stretch in the morning, I realize I am not Simone Biles. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do not have her ability. I do not have her skill. And, and I, it's uncomprehendable. Now, the person that I think of, though, when I think of, like, someone who's way above me is a guy named Brian Shaw. Do we have that photo? Yeah, we do? All right. So this is Brian Shaw, All right. So Brian Shaw is a present-day Goliath, all right? He is 6'8", 390 pounds, and he is realistically just the world's strongest man. Now, uh, there's competitions, and he's won it a few times, but this guy is ridiculous, right? And when I think of this guy, all right, one of his feats, actually, and he's done it multiple times, is to pull an 80,000-pound truck. Like both fire truck, semi truck, buses, he's done it. Eighty thousand pounds, he, he's pulled before. Um, he has multiple world records for lifting. He has multiple, you know, world strongest man. And when I look at this guy, I think, never in my life will I ever be this guy. At one point during his bodybuilding career, he was eating over twelve thousand calories a day. Right? He uh, he eats such an amount that I could not even imagine, right? He works out in ways that I cannot imagine. He has these dumbbells that are over 300 pounds and he lifts up with one hand, all right? That is, that is my body plus 60 pounds that he can lift me up in one hand. That's ridiculous, right? When I think of people like Brian Shaw or I think of other people in this world like Simone Biles or Oprah Winfrey or Jeff Bezos or whatever, they seem unreachable, they seem like they're on a different planet, like they live a totally different life than I do. I can only imagine what it would feel like to be maybe in like a third world country and then hear about these people because at even like that must be even a crazier gap. But like they live a life that I do not comprehend. And here's the thing about Jesus is Jesus could have lived a life that we could not comprehend. But Hebrews tells us he lived a little bit different. So if everybody would go ahead and stand in honor of God's word, we are going to get into our main passage, which is Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16, all right? So we're going to read this, um, and you're going to see just how lowly Jesus made himself that way we could experience life on a human level with him, all right? So Hebrews 4, 14, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now notice this right here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Right? So he's been tempted in every way, just as we have, yet he did not give in. He did not sin. He did not falter. He did not yield when temptation was in his face. He did not sin. He did this as an example for us, right? Uh, verse 16: Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let us approach the guy who did not sin, let us approach him so that in our time of need, we can have grace and mercy. That's pretty cool, right? We serve a God who was without sin, yet he was tempted with everything that we're tempted with. Let's get into that a little bit more, but first we're gonna pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here in this place. Father, I pray that you would help us understand um, just how awesome you were, yet you were still a human, And that should make us have this drive within us to be better than who we were. So Father, I pray that that would be something that would be impressed upon us during this sermon. And thank you for everything that you do. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. All right, so here's the thing. Jesus could have been unapproachable. He could have been unrealistic. He could have been so far out of our league that we never would have even thought to try to be like him, right? He could have done this. And in fact, he was, right? He is 100% God. We will never be that way. But he didn't act that way. He didn't behave that way. And I think that's one of the things that I love most about Jesus is the fact that he meets us where we're at and he knows what we've gone through. He's felt those temptations. He's felt those issues. In fact, um, Jesus shows his humanity all throughout Scripture by crying over a friend when he died. He, he mourned, right? Uh, he got tempted, and we're going to talk about this one later. He gets tempted. He also got angry, right? He was flipping tables. Uh, he gets angry at other times and, and curses, you know, trees and, you know, all these different things. Uh, he also is tempted and, and has fun but you know there's always a the temptation to have too much fun right so there, there's aspects to that um he got tired um he had friendships he showed his humanity through his friendships um he also worries about his mother when he's up on the cross and he asked john to take care of his mother uh these are human aspects of us right i don't know if you've ever experienced any of those things i listed but today we're going to go through three things that jesus did that i think really point out his humanity and we're going to see how we relate to those all right so the first thing that we're going to talk about today is the fact that jesus mourned all right jesus mourned um so mourning to to grieve to um people mourn in different ways i'll just say it this way Uh, we see, this is something that we always talk about at funerals, but uh, when David, King David, was losing his son, when his son was dying, uh, he put on sackcloth, sackcloth, he refused to eat, he wept at his bed, he refused to leave his room, all these different things, before his son had died. Yet after his son died, um, he got up, got dressed, ate some food, got some rest, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the servants are, like, befuddled by this action. They're so curious on how someone can basically act as if someone had already died while they're still alive. And then as soon as they're, they're alive, they're, they're up and at them again. I just want to say, everybody grieves differently. Everybody mourns differently. And so some people in this room, that might be how you have grieved a loved one or something that you love. Um, and other people, you say... I'm a wreck for weeks and weeks on end after that. And maybe you have that experience, maybe you don't. Um, but mourning and grieving is part of life as a human. And so we're going to look at the passage in which Jesus mourned. This is uh, after the death of Lazarus, all right? So it's John eleven thirty two 32 through 36. It says this, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Notice that Jesus was sensitive to the people around him, the people that he loved, the people that he cared for. They were burdened and moved by the death of their friend, and so was Jesus, right? And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come see. Jesus wept. That's our shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Um, Before, oh, you know, I'll finish this. So the Jew said, see how he loved him. Now, if you know the end of this this story, uh, what you do know is that Jesus ends up raising Lazarus from the dead. But that's not what I want to point out in this moment right now. I want to point out two main things with this passage. The first is that Jesus wept before he solved the problem. Jesus mourned before he solved the problem. I don't know if any husbands in this room have ever gotten in trouble for not validating your wife's feelings. Have you ever been there before where uh, you want to fix an issue and they don't want to, the issue to be fixed? They want to be heard. They want their feelings to be validated. This isn't just a husband-wife thing. This is people all over. This is friendships. This is relationships. Um, you know, Maybe the husband is more sensitive like that. I, that's not like flack on them. I'm just simply saying... Sometimes in life, people need to have their feelings validated and heard before they get fixed. And that's an okay grief process. That is perfectly okay. We can't rush people out of grief. Now, at the same point, we also have to realize that part of the grief process is that we want, we have emotions that are illogical and not realistic at times, right? And so uh, I, I've had this conversation with my wife so many times in which she says like, I know that it's not correct, but this is how I feel in this moment. And I go, well, that's stupid. Like, that's a, that's a terrible idea, just, just adjust your feelings. And she goes, I can't, and I don't need you to tell me I'm wrong, because I already know I'm wrong, and it makes me more upset. And I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. Lesson learned, right? Here's the thing, we're humans, we have emotions. It is not always easy to regulate those emotions, but do not allow your emotions to overwhelm every other aspect of you. That is where temptation sets in, in your life. When you have an overwhelming emotion of desire or of grief and you say, you know what? Like I always say, one of the most dangerous attitudes to get into is a screw it mentality. When you have something bad happen in your life, when you're mourning a loved one or you're mourning something, maybe it's the loss of a job, maybe it's whatever, and then you get into a screw it mentality, that is where sin and temptation dig their claws into you, right? And it is okay to grieve. It is not okay to allow that to be the bane of fall, basically. Don't don't allow that to be the thing that makes you fall, all right? Now, here's the thing. Mourning shows a deep love and connection in relation to a person or thing right it it shows that relationship now humans aren't actually the only creatures who do this Uh, the uh there there have been studies that elephants will actually cry over like the death of like their their groups uh dogs giraffes some types of monkeys uh whales and dolphins um, have all been known to actually mourn the, the loss of their family members, their friends, uh, the people, or, you know, the, the things that they're socializing with. Um, in fact, actually, do you guys know who Jane Goodall is? All right, She is like a world-renowned scientist, and she's studied chimps her whole life. In 1972, Jane Goodall witnessed a young male chimp named Flint die just a month after the death of his mother Flo. The male was so disrespondent following her death that he stopped eating or socializing to the point that he simply did not survive. What am I getting at? Why am I talking to you guys about chimps when I'm I'm supposed to be talking about the humanity of Jesus? Um, We are meant to be social creatures. And part of the social creature aspect means that we form deep connections with the people around us, and that's okay. And through that, hurt is going to come. You're going to be hurt by their death or by their actions. You're going to be hurt, but that does not mean that you should pull away from those social interactions because Flint, the chimpanzee, literally died because he refused to adhere to social behaviors and, and, and take care of himself. All right, When you're mourning someone else, I never, ever, ever wanna see you put yourself through more pain by not eating or drinking or getting up in the morning. I understand. I understand how difficult it can be to do those things. But we're meant to be social creatures. We're meant to be in a community. We're meant to be in a church. We're meant to live life together. So in those moments in which you wanna pull away, in those moments in which you want to feel alone, I'm desperate to tell you, do not be lonely. Do not separate yourself so much to the point where you are no longer around your collective body because we want to love on you and we want to be there with you and we want to support you. And we may not always know what to say. We may not always say the right things, but you need to be social. We don't want you to be alone. And that brings me to something that I'm going to be talking through the whole day, which is something called HALT. All right. And so you probably heard Pastor Kevin talk about this before. It, halt is an abbreviation for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And these are the times in which we are more likely to fall into sin and temptation. Uh, they're the times in which we are at our lowest, we are at our weakest, and one of those is lonely. And it's very easy to feel lonely and to fall in temptation when we are lonely. Because a, there's no one around you, but also B, you, you get... To say it in a, in a I don't know how else to say it, having like a woe is me mindset where you're the victim all the time is going to lead you further down. I'm not saying that mourning... and and grieving means that you're a victim and that let's not, I'm trying to say when you take it that extra step and you separate yourself out, then you have a victim mentality that gives you permission to go the step beyond and continue to sin and continue. Jesus did not do that. Jesus wept and grieved with the people around him and then turned around and fixed the problem. He fixed the problem. And now I understand that not all of us or any of us, have the ability to raise someone from the dead, right? That's not what I'm saying. I am saying, though, that there are other things that you can do to help you process in a healthy manner. And so I'm asking you not to fall into the pit of despair and loneliness, all right? Um, now, notice this, going back to the Hebrews. Jesus felt the devastating loss of a friend, someone who was dear to him, yet he did not sin. That's our key phrase. Yeah, he did not sit. All right, another thing, uh, and I got to keep this moving. So another thing that Jesus did that shows his humanity is that Jesus got tired. Anybody in this room, get tired. Amen. I think to be alive means to be tired. Yes. Would you guys agree? Uh, I know that I am alive when my you know, two-year-old daughter is pounding on her door at five in the morning, like an FBI agent pulling up going, Dada! One milk and bluey! Like, right? Like, I know that I'm alive because I'm like... You know? I'm sitting on the couch going, this is what i signed myself up for, right? I know that I'm alive because I am tired. Um, it gets better. It gets better. Here, here's the thing about tiredness, right? Tiredness has levels. And I want you guys to... Have, get this understanding, tiredness has levels, and just because someone is not the same level as you does not mean that they are not tired. All right, let me break this down for you. If you have a middle schooler or a high school student who is stressed out about a test, and so they stay up and they study and they study, and then they go to school the next day and that stress is weighing upon them, and then they tell you, I am tired, your response should not be, well, wait until you have a kid, (laughs) right? First off, I don't want that 16-year-old having a kid. And second off, it is okay that they're tired. They are at a level in which that is tired, right? If you are a college student and you are staying up late doing whatever, um, but you're also studying, you know, you're doing all these different things, or maybe you're worried about your future or whatever, and, they at, and you ask them, how are you doing? They say, I'm tired. You don't say, well, wait until you get a promotion, right? You don't do that because they're not at that level, when you have your first kid, you don't have to say, well, wait until you have three more, right? <laughs> They're tired at that level. Wait until someone, like someone's new to your job and they haven't done it before. Wait until they get a promotion and rub it in their face then. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Don't do those things because... People are at different levels of tired and that's okay. Uh, The same could be said for pain. The same could be said for anything, right? Uh, When my daughter was about a month old, I, uh, she had a really long thumbnail. So I was like, I'm going to clip her thumbnail, right? So I go to clip her thumbnail and I got her skin when I did it. Like, Baby's fingernails are like super soft and stuff. It was hard. And I clipped the edge, the top of her thumb. She was bleeding, right? It took off like a chunk of her skin. And she is losing her mind. I felt so bad. It was the first time that I ever caused my child pain. It happened many more times now after. (laughs) But in the moment, I felt awful, right? Here's the thing, though. She's losing her mind as a baby because she's never felt any other pain. Now, if I clip my nail and I go, ah! and I start screaming and running around, you'd say like, dude, suck it up a little bit, right? Uh, but she has never felt that, any experience of pain, right? She should not know what it's like to take a baseball bat to the forehead at a month old. I do know what it feels like to do that, right? I have taken a baseball bat to the head. It was a car bash. I was in fifth grade at youth, just boom, <laughs> right back into my head, right? Left, left a gash, got stitches, all that good stuff. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to rip my, uh, my hip flexor while punting. That was pain. I don't want my child to experience that and I don't expect them to react the same way to pain. Why do we expect people to react the same way with tiredness? Why do we expect people to act the same way with stress? As you get older, as you mature, as you grow, you will be able to handle more. So let's not judge people who have not had that experience yet, right? Now going with that experience, let's talk about Jesus and his experience, right? So Jesus got tired. He got tired a lot. Uh, Mark 4 uh, specifically talks about what I want to talk about though. It says, and the crowd, or sorry, and leaving the crowd, they took him in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him. And great and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. All right. So multiple boats. Jesus is in a boat. He he's just finished speaking to, to hundreds, if not thousands, of people. He's been teaching them. He's been helping them understand parables and, and answering questions and doing all this kind of stuff. He has been healing their sick. He's been doing all these activities that you know the Messiah does. And he gets into a boat. A storm hits, and the boat begins filling. Well, here's the thing. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. He was taking a power nap, right? Jesus was taking a power nap, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, do you not care that we are dying? Do you not care that we are sinking? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Here's the thing. Um, There is a level of, that jesus is tired that probably a lot of us don't understand right um there there's tired and then there's super super tired that jesus was probably feeling i've watched my my father for years when i was younger uh come home after preaching two or three sermons and come home eat some lunch and then just crash because the emotional drain the physical drain that that happens right um i've watched it happen i can only imagine that is a portion of what jesus was feeling in this moment jesus was tired and he was awoken by his disciples the ones whom he loves his relationships literally panicking with a lot have you guys ever been woken up in the middle of a nap that you desperately need right you ever been woken up by oh my goodness like uh The other day, I I fall asleep. We had a lock-in. I'm super, super tired. um, And I'm dead asleep. And then all of a sudden, at some point, I just feel boop right in my face as my daughter has poked me in my nose. And I open up my eyes, and she's sitting there giggling and laughing. And I've gotten four hours of sleep in the last 48 hours, right? And I'm dead tired. And everything within me was like, I just want to sleep, but I don't, but I don't do that because my tiredness is not an excuse for misbehavior for me to take it out on my child. My, my, my tiredness is not an excuse for me to be angry and to take it out on other people. And I just want to say the same thing for you guys is that your tiredness is not an excuse to fall into sin, right? To, to, um, do the things that we know we're not supposed to your tiredness is not an excuse to take it that one step beyond to to yell at your children or beat them out of anger to uh take it out on on that one sin like guys i understand what it feels like to be tired and to be so done with being disciplined that you get back into that screw it mentality. I understand what it's like and it's not an excuse because Jesus felt every temptation that we've had yet he did not sin. Yet he did not give in, right? Jesus was in a state of tranquil faith. I don't know how else to call it. He's on that boat. He's in a state of tranquil faith. He is not worried about what will be or what, what's gonna happen because he knew what was happening he knew who he was he knew what their situation was he's not worried about it and the disciples had such little faith in jesus in that moment that jesus actually gets up after rebuking them and literally yells at them about their faith he yells at them about their faith here's what i want to get at you guys today Don't you want to have the tranquil faith of Jesus that says, I am not worried about what's going to happen. I'm not worried even about what's happening right now because I know that either God is going to see me through it or I get to go spend eternity with God. That is is the Christian mantra. Christians have been persecuted all over the world for thousands of years. And when they are persecuted, they either get to say, glory to you because I'm being blessed my righteousness is being blessed when you're persecuting me or go ahead kill me and you're just sending me to the place I want to get to desperately like that is is a mindset that most of us don't have because we live such amazing lives and that's I live an amazing life but I want to have the tranquil faith of Jesus that says I'm not worried about what's going to happen and I'm not worried about what's happening because I trust in God I trust in God that is, that is good, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't a life like that sound comforting though? Right? You might ask, how, how do uh, the missionaries do it all over the world? How do Bob and Aaron Stets do it? How do the Jacks do it? How do pastors or, or whoever it is, how do they do it? It's because we live a life of tranquil faith that says, I may not know what's going on, but I'm going to trust you and your plan more than I trust myself. Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Tiredness is dangerous to humans because we often make bad decisions when we're tired. It is not a reason to give in to sin. Jesus was a man just like us. He was tempted with the very things as us, yet he did not sin. All right, let's go ahead and let's get into the third thing that I want to bring up, which is Jesus was tempted. Uh, Jesus was tempted specifically um, after his four day fast, or sorry, his 40 day and night fast that he has in which he's hungry, And Satan comes to him and basically tempts him with three or four, depending on how you look at it, different things. So I'm going to go through the different temptations. So verse 3, it says this. "Um, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So he tempts him with food. Uh, Then he tempts him, Then I'll just read it, in verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. He said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. So right there, um, he is being tempted with protection. And then on the last one, verse eight, you see, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, I will give, or all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So he offers him power. He offers him more. So let's break down these down real quick. So food, he tempts him with food. You ever get tempted with food? right? So I'm doing something right now in the new year. I'm a week in as of today. It's called 75 Hard. Um, It's basically two workouts a day, a drink a gallon of water, read 10 pages of a book, um, and and uh, follow a diet. And so the diet that I have does not allow sugar. It's a high protein, uh, low carb, low sugar diet, right? That I have chosen for myself, right? No one is pressuring me to do this. I'm not even doing it with anybody. I'm doing it on myself. And every single time I open up the, the cabinet that we have in my kitchen, there's a box of candied pecans that I want with every fiber within me. I want it. My, my wife made chocolate chip cookies the other day. I, I'm, on, I'm like in a regression from sugar right now, and she makes chocolate chip cookies. I am dying on the inside, right? Because I want food. I want that food, but I'm disciplining myself to say no, right? I'm disciplining myself. But here's the thing. It's almost like Satan knows exactly what you want and will wave and dangle that thing right in front of your face right? This is, that's just life. That's not just food. That's just life 101, is that sometimes, man, let's say you're having intimacy issues with your, with your spouse. You're having intimacy issues with your spouse, and then all of a sudden that ad or that movie or that person walks down the street and you go, right? Those are, resp- those are, those are outcomes of you not dealing with the intimacy, intimacy issues that you have with your spouse. And it is not okay to give in to those things just simply because you have issues on this other end. Satan knows exactly what you want. He knows what your desires and your temptations are. If you ever read uh, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? It, it is from a demon's perspective about how they're going to tempt uh, Christians. And if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. It's an easy read. It's super fun. It's a good aspect. And it flips the script a little bit because you get to see how does sin want to involve me in it? Because God wants to keep you righteous and holy, and Satan does not want those things for you because those things keep you away from God, right? Or sorry, he wants to keep you away from God. So basically, the concept that I'm trying to get across to you guys is that Jesus was tempted with the very thing that he was craving in that moment. And the same is going to happen to you. That doesn't mean it's okay to give in because Jesus, once again, he did not sin. He did not sin. All right. Another thing that he was tempted with was protection, right? We all want to feel special. We all want to feel loved and cared for. We all want that protection. Another thing he was tempted with was power. Don't we all want to feel power? Don't we all want to feel like we're the boss of something? Don't we all want to feel like at maybe, maybe you're happy to be like, oh, I'm, I'm good to be someone that no one notices. But at some point, you don't want to have all your rights taken from you, right? You want to feel some inkling of power. Um, but the biggest issue I think that satan was dealing with jesus one is the concept of more of more and more and more and the jesus does it great he basically calls him out and says like all this is already mine right this is already mine you can't give me the thing that i already own right i can't i can't um tell my parents right when i'm younger i can't tell my parents like oh no this is my phone uh I paid for it. I pay the phone bill. I pay all these different things. That's my phone, and I let you borrow it, right? Right. That—that's the general concept that Jesus is dealing with. Saying, "I'm going to give you all these kingdoms and all this majesty. They're already mine, dude. I don't even know what you're talking about." But the idea and the temptation of more is so real. Um, a few—I don't know—a while back, I was on a cruise with my wife and. I'm not a big cruise person. I've only gone on like two, uh, but this one I got really seasick, like super seasick. And the only thing that helped me was just walking laps around uh, the entire cruise ship. Like I must've walked miles on that thing because it was the only, like if I laid down, I got sick. And one of my favorite places to walk, one of my favorite floors was the casino floor simply because they had live music. They had stupid people, like it, it was good people watching, right? And, um, I enjoyed it so much, but one time I was walking by and I was watching some people play blackjack and there was this one guy, he was playing and he was teaching two other people how to play as well and they were going through and I watched them in front of me win like four or five hands in a row. Boom, 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 boom. They literally are doubling their money in front of me and around that third win, I start going, I got $6 cash in my pocket. I I could use $120 cash in my pocket, you know what I mean? However, around that fifth time, as soon as they win again, I literally was so close to putting money down that one of the big issues is that $60 is over the spending limit that my wife and I have agreed upon. Um, If you're not, if you haven't made that understanding with your spouse of like, what can I spend and what can I spend, $60 was over my spending limit. Um, So that was one thing. I didn't want to make her angry. Um, But also another thing was, I don't think I'm going to win. I, I think I'm gonna win, but in the back of my head, I go, I'm, I'm, I'm too smart to be this stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm too smart to be this stupid. So I do not want more. I'd rather have the $6 in my pocket than walk away with zero after two hands, all right? So that's what I ended up doing, and I walked away, and for the next few hours, like, probably the next few hours, I was sort of like, man, I really wanna go play. <laughs> like, I, I do. I, I've never even played real blackjack for real money. I played like for fun, but like, I've never played real blackjack for, for real money. And in that moment, I realized I'm being tempted. I'm really being tempted right now. And I had to walk away. I had to walk away from it. Sometimes you just need to walk away. All right, I'm pretty much out of time. Let me, let me hit this concept one more time. Hebrews 4.15. We're going to bring this back. and Go ahead, Ben. Why don't you come out? For we do not serve a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Once again, what's our key phrase? Everybody read it out loud. Yet he did not sin. Yet he did not sin. Here's what I want you guys to know. Jesus did not yield when the going got tough. When when he was beaten and broken, when he was knocked down, he could have lied, he could have done whatever, but he did not sin. He did not fall, he did not bow to Satan, and he did not yield that is what I want for you in 2024. I do not want you to be the same person in 2024 that you were in 2023. I do not want you to be the same person in 2024 that you were in 2010, right? I want to see continuous growth and I want you to want that for yourself, right? There is something that is so important about the humanity of Jesus that he shows us what we can be. He shows us who we can be. He shows us the relationship that we have with God. And every year that I'm not going closer to that is a year that I feel like I'm failing. I don't want to be 2016 mad again. I don't want to be 2009 mad again. I don't want to be 2023 mad again. I want to be 2024 Matt that it will continue to go up and continue to get closer to God. I want to be the Matt that says, this year I did not yield when temptation looked at me in my face right? When I heard that juicy piece of gossip, I did not spread it, right? When I, when I wanted that thing that I so desired, every, every fiber within me wanted it. I did not yield. Do you want that for yourself this year? Do you want to say, I will not yield this year to temptation and sin? Do you want to be like Jesus who did not sin? Winston Churchill, after the French retreated from Hitler in 1940, was in a speech and he said this, we have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land and air with all of our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against the monstrous tyranny, never surpass Sorry, never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. I'm going to ask you, what is your policy? Do you want to wage war on sin and death and shame and toxic guilt? Do you want to wage war over your own flesh? Because that's what I want for 2024. I want to wage war against myself. That way I can step into the life that God has for me. So everybody go ahead and stand up on your feet. If our prayer team will come on up. Our prayer team's gonna have some anointing oil up here. We're gonna sing a song together, but here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you want to step into 2024, a new year, as an exemplary human, one who follows and chases after God, I want you to come on up and, can I get one of those actually? I want you to come up and I want you to get anointed by someone on our prayer team. They're gonna give a little dab of oil, a little bit on your forehead, and they are going to pray a blessing of unyielding faith over your life, right? Uh, If you wanna express a little bit more, you can absolutely do that. But I'm gonna say, the idea for this is quick and it's empowering because I don't want you to be the same person that you were this upcoming year. Does that sound good? All right, so what we're going to do is uh, the band's going to go ahead and sing. If you want to make your way forward, you can go ahead and do that at this time.